0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Odd with Aubrey. In the show, I'll be collecting weirdos and telling their stories. You can catch the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And I'll always be posting the podcast with bonus content on oddwithaubrey.com. Feel free to be in touch at oddwithaubrey at gmail.com. And you can always follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Aubrey Brocco with no E in my first name. This week, I'm pleased to welcome John Young from Salem, Massachusetts to the podcast. I think you will enjoy hearing about his fitness journey and his unique perspective on life. We'll also be hearing the end of my speed dating adventure with the one and only Andrea Belke. So let's get started and call up John. John, welcome to Odd with Aubrey. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I can't wait to have people learn about you and hear your story.
1: Well, thanks very much for for asking me to come on.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Let's just kick it off. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, where you live now, what you do? Who is John Young? I'm
1: John Young. I'm 51 years old. Uh, I'm a high school teacher, um, born originally in Canada and lived there until... 1999. Uh, my wow. wife, yeah, my my wife, Sue from Minnesota, uh, we got married in 95. And then in 1999, we decided to move overseas where we lived in Hong Kong for four years. That's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. And I was teaching high school over there, like, like I had been in Canada. And then our son, Owen, who will be starting high school this year, he was born when we were living in Hong Kong. and And then we kind of you know, wanted to come back to North America after he was born. And so in 2003, we moved to Massachusetts and uh, I worked at another school for a year and then moved to the current school that I've been teaching at. I'll be starting there my 14th year. It's a small prep school north of Boston called the Pingree School. And I've been teaching math there since then and had been coaching swimming and 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 whatnot. And, and that's kind of, you know, my Personal and, and professional life uh, up until now.
0: Now, where in Canada are you from?
1: I grew up in Toronto. Uh, okay. Huge hockey fan. Love the Toronto Maple Leafs and mm-hmm. and like the Bruins too. So you know, it's no conflict living here in in the Boston area at all. Oh, so
0: you're a sports a sports bigamist or whatever we call it. My boyfriend always <laughs> jokes. Yeah.
1: Yes, I I don't. The only the only team I kind of hate is the they're the Montreal Canadiens, and that's just because they we grew up with them pretty much beating Toronto all the time, and so you know it's kind of like the Yankees Red Sox thing.
0: That's so funny, and that's pretty cool. So, does your son have like a citizenship wise? How does that work?
1: He actually has dual Canadian and American citizenship, just like I do, and and my wife is is American. When we lived in Canada, she tried to. Become a Canadian citizen, but then we moved away to Hong Kong and and she couldn't kind of pursue that living out of the country.
0: Very interesting journey. I didn't know that. Now you're at Pingree, which I have told you is a school I fell in love with when I was in seventh or eighth grade and always wanted to go to, but it was a little too far of a drive.
1: Yeah, we I I love it there. It's a small school. You know, 350, 360 students, and and they're great kids and really great families. And, and like I said, my son is actually going to be going there as a ninth grader starting next week. So we're excited to be the parents of a high school kid, and I'm going to find out what it's like working at a school where my own child is a student. Ooh, could you potentially teach him? I could in a couple of years. Uh, it, it's happened before where teachers teach their own children, but, but it won't happen for a couple of years because I've kind of been... Uh, reserved for mostly juniors and seniors, and so we'll see what happens.
0: Now, uh, can you talk to us about dwarfism for people that don't know anything about it or don't know how to speak on the topic? I know that is a big part of your story and why you're so inspiring. Can you can you give us a little bit about your background with that, please?
1: Sure. I was born with uh, achondroplasia, which is the most common form of genetic dwarfism. Um, it causes me to have shorter arms and legs than average sized people, but my torso torso is average size. Um, I was, they pretty much knew when I was born that I was going to have dwarfism just because of the way my, my body looked. Um, my wife has the same type of dwarfism as does our, as does our son Owen, um, and you know I've kind of been dealing this with this my entire life. I luckily grew up in a in a home. I, I was put into foster care at birth. Um, my mother was unmarried when I was born, and back in the 60s, she didn't really feel like it was good to kind of you know be a single mom, and and she wasn't sure that she could you know kind of give me the life that she felt I deserved, and so I mm. was put into put into foster care, and I luckily stayed with the same foster family. I was never adopted, but but they were my family from, well, birth until now. They're still my family. And uh, and they raised me pretty much to, to realize that everyone in the world is different, and this is just part of what makes me, me. And, and I had three older sisters and a couple of older brothers and they didn't let me get away with anything. I had to do the same, I had to do the same thing as all of my siblings. And, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I wasn't coddled or, or made to kind of use my dwarfism as an excuse. And, and, you know, that was kind of just, that was it. My childhood was, you know, like any other childhood, except, you know, dealing with the teasing and the names and stuff that people that don't know you kind of try to, get under your skin and and whatnot. But I just tried really hard not to let it bug me. I'm sure I had bad days when I came home but my brother I remember my older brother pretty much said, you know, he just said, get used to it. It's gonna happen your entire life. And if you're always feeling always feeling sorry for yourself, you're never gonna do anything. And and so I kinda learned that lesson relatively quickly and 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 kinda went from there. And, you know, dealing with it is it's it's kind of an interesting term because I've I've always felt that kind of what what, um, what, what dwarfism is all about is really getting to live in a world that isn't made for you. And that's, you know, right. it's, it's a physical thing. It's not really anything else. And if the world was made for my size, I'd be fine. There are some complications related to our type of dwarfism. We have a curved spine and there's some problem with, at times there can be problems with stenosis and, and problems with legs bowing and, and, and other complications. But I've been very blessed in the fact that I have not had a single surgery in my life related to my dwarfism. And I, can, I consider that, like I said, I, I consider myself very lucky because of that. A
0: couple things. It's amazing that your brother, that a kid like you had such a positive outlook. That's really amazing to hear. Uh, And the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, the, the term dealing with it, like it's you, it's your life, it's your normal, but it's fitting in a world where there are people that just don't, to them, they're like, oh, this is so different. What's it like? But for you, it's every day. Uh, Do you have people that have misconceptions? Because I saw you, I was so inspired. I saw you on Facebook kind of like putting people straight on how they talk about things and just kind of like educating people that don't know.
1: There's, I think there's just lots of terms and phrases that are used. Like somebody says, oh, that person suffers from dwarfism. Right. And I'm, or or you suffer from cerebral palsy or you suffer, suffer from diabetes. And I always say, you know, you're going to experience pain in your life. But suffering is a choice. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really feel that. And I know not everybody agrees with me on that one. But I take the pain that I deal with. And, and I'm not talking about mental pain, which obviously some people have. But I'm de- talking about physical pain. And I learn how to kind of comp- compartmentalize that and, and realize that, you know, if I'm out there doing something, it might be difficult. But if I'm not getting injured, it's part of what I'm doing. And then, you know, the other thing. The other term is, you know, words that they use to describe it. Like I have dwarfism and I, I prefer not to say I'm a dwarf. I just have dwarfism. I am, you know, I uh, and, and that's a big difference because then that's if you say I'm a dwarf, that's that's just that's just saying that's the one thing I am. And I'm not. I'm a whole exactly. host of things a father, a teacher, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, and then obviously there's other words that are used. And the word midget, you know, comes out a lot. And 99% of the time it's, it's meant as a slur or it's tried to put people down and make them feel bad. And, um, you know, now that I'm kind of out there and a little bit more noticeable and, and with, with some of the racing I do that I'll talk about in a little while, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes be riding my bike and a carload of teenagers will come by and they'll yell something out the window. And, you know, that could upset people, but it kind of motivates me and nothing (laughs) I like better than, you know, somebody yelling like, hey, look at that midget out their car window. And then I cycle like heck to get to the stoplight to meet the car. And I usually, you know, will stop and look at them and they immediately roll up their windows. (laughs) Ha! I love it. And I'm like, what's, what's the problem now? Like, what's, what's going on? And it's. You know, it's just dealing with it right on rather than ignoring it. And you know, I when it when it comes from children, though, I'm always eager to educate and help. And and you know, if a kid points at me, a little kid points at me and says, "Mommy, look at the little man." You know, I'll often say, "That's right. I'm a little man, just like there are tall men and skinny men and dark men and light-skinned men and women and whatever. It's just it's just part of who I am. And I find that when you talk to kids directly and frankly and tell them that it's just part of who you are then it's not so much of a wow it's that's important
0: different. it's important not to be like us and them and show the differences because the the way we're all the same is that we're all different if you ask me
1: exactly and that's you know and and I I really I kind of shudder when I see parents at the grocery store for example when their kid says something and they look at me often parents will grab the hand and like run them around the corner so they don't see me anymore and that's the worst thing you can do because then that child thinks there's something wrong with that person. Cause my mom doesn't want me to see him. And, and it, you know, I I'll never challenge a parent. Like I'll never chase them to kind of deal with something cause I think that would freak everybody out. But, but I do kind of, you know, I do want people to understand that if you ask mature questions and kind of deal with it face to face, then all of those kind of misconceptions, I hope fade away.
0: That's fantastic. I think it's great that you take that attitude about kids. I think we need to do a better job. Well, you're a teacher. So it probably dovetails very nicely with your personal and professional life. It's important. It's important. I think so. It is. I think
1: so. And the funny thing is, you know, now I've been teaching for years. And whenever I talk to my students about my dwarfism, they always kind of shake their heads. And they're like, what, what, like, we don't even think of you as being short. You're just, you know, you're just Mr. Young, the guy that gives way too much homework. That's
0: the thing. We all just need to learn how to talk and listen and learn. And then you don't even, it makes the world a smaller place. Very yep. cool. Okay. So now that we have kind of your background and who you are um, at the very basic level, I'd love for you to get into your fitness. And I know some of some of the um, stories of your fitness journey, which I will share Uh, on the website, but you are incredibly fit, John. And I know that has not been an easy journey. Can you tell us how you have become
1: this fit Ironman? It's been a really roller coaster journey. Like when I was younger, I was always a swimmer and I'd always enjoyed swimming. And I did it from when I was very young, you know, and then, uh, I got married and I got a job, you know, all that kind of stuff. And life just kind of became my family and everything was great. And then kind of in the early 2000s, like pretty much when we came back from Hong Kong, I was not in a good place. And, you know, I'm four foot four, which is not very tall. And my wife kind of encouraged me to go to the doctor because I was having trouble sleeping and Mm. thereby I I was having trouble staying awake at night. Or sorry, staying awake during the day. And what she found out was, was, you know, I, I might have had this thing called sleep apnea because I was like, I wasn't breathing at night while I was sleeping and it was scaring her, obviously. And it, it took a lot to get me to the doctor, but I finally went. And um, basically when I got in to see my doctor, uh, the first doctor I had said, oh, you know, sleep, sleep apnea, that's, that's overrated. It's overdiagnosed. Just lose some weight. So I went home and I told my wife what he said, and she said, you need another doctor. And so I, I said, OK. So I changed doctors. And the second doctor that I went to, that's my current uh, physician, he, he immediately, on first time meeting me, said that he was going to remove my driver's license. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you fell asleep twi- twice talking to me. Oh, my gosh. In the office. And I think the the, the scariest part for me was when I stepped on the scale uh, I weighed 195 pounds.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I hadn't been on a scale in a long time. And I immediately told them their scale was broken. <laughs> and huh. they, said, they said, no, it's not broken. It's very accurate. And and so I was diagnosed with s- severe sleep apnea. I was prescribed a CPAP machine. And that machine basically pumps air into my lungs and keeps me from, like, keeps me breathing all night long so I don't stop breathing and I don't have these episodes so I immediately kind of uh, got back some energy. I got back into the pool. And then a mutual friend of ours, uh, Bill Legault, I was working at the YMCA in Salem then. And, and he told me, he said, hey, I'm arranging these bike rides. Would you be interested in riding a bike from Salem to all of the different YMCA's in the North Shore region? And I thought, that sounds great.
0: That would be Bill to do that. For our listeners, Bald Bill is Bill Legault. Lago. Bill Legault. Bill Lago. We all say his name yep. differently, but that's Bald yep. Bill who was on the show. Go ahead, John. Yep. yep.
1: And anyway, so Bill said, Hey, let's do this ride. And so I borrowed my wife's bike. I don't think I'd ever biked more than, you know, five miles in my life. And so I borrowed her bike and this would have been probably in about 2007, maybe 2006, 2007, around then. Uh, so 10 years ago. And so, we, we did this summer thing where we biked all the whys. And I thought that was kind of cool. And then uh, one of the students at school said one day, hey, let's have a bike to school day. And so I biked from Salem up to Pingree and back, which is 10 miles one way. And I was exhausted, but I, I thought it was a terrific thing to do. And so that was kind of like the start. And then to, 2009, I'm sitting at my desk one day and somebody emails me this video that I watched, and it was Dick and Rick Hoyt. And if people don't know who they are, they're a father and son team. The son, they live in Massachusetts. The son has cerebral palsy, and the dad has pushed him in the Boston Marathon like more than 30 times and finished the race. They've done numerous triathlons. They've done the Ironman in Hawaii. And this video, I watched this video of them doing the Ironman, and I had never thought of doing even the smallest triathlon in my life. And I thought, wow, I wonder if I could do a triathlon.
0: Wow. So so just seeing them, it's an inspiration to see, like, if they can do it, anyone can do it.
1: Exactly. And it was more kind of like, I also was seeing this father and son relationship kind of happening. And then because at that time, you know, our son was, uh, you know, uh, six years old, just into elementary school. Mm -hmm was struggling a little bit with finding out that he's not as fast as his friends. He's not as big as his friends. You know, when am I going to win a race? When am I going to come first? And I kind of thought, you know, if I do one of these triathlons, I'm probably going to come in last or near the end. And maybe he can kind of see that and, and whatever. And so in 2009 I signed up and did my first triathlon and, and I'll be honest with you. I have, I had before that day, I had never run more than once around a track. Like never in your whole life in my whole life. Like you go to, you go to gym class and you run around the track once and that's it. That's all I ever did. Hmm. I'd never, I'd never run a five K or anything like that. And so, so I did this triathlon and, and, um, and the first full triathlon I did swim, bike run was in Salem, uh, here. And I, I, I did a race earlier that was just the bike and the swim, uh, without the running part. But, but after I did this first triathlon, I thought, I actually loved it and I was hooked and I remember my son at the finish line I crossed the finish line and he said to me you know I was smiling and happy and and he said dad did you win and I said no and he said well why are you so happy and I said cuz I did my best and I tried really hard and it was great and I thought this is yeah this is what he needs to kind of see and so and it wasn't for him that I kept doing it I actually loved it and so that's that was my first kind of multi-sport race. And and since 2009 now, I've done close to 50 triathlons, um, 50? including five zero. Whoa, <laughs> I've I've done I've done nine half Ironman triathlons and a half Ironman is a one point two mile swim, okay. a fifty six, a fifty six mile bike ride and then a 13.1 mile run a half marathon. And I've got one of those coming up actually in nine days up in Maine. I'm going to be racing up in Maine in nine days. And then I've done nine full marathons, um, including I've done Boston. I've done Boston four times and the New York marathon twice. And last October, I went down to Maryland and was the first person with dwarfism to do um, an Ironman triathlon.
0: It's incredible. I mean, just hearing the way I hear you say what you've done physically, but just your also your attitude is just comes off so clearly. Like sometimes winning is finishing and doing your best and that's all you can do.
1: And sometimes you don't even finish. Like I've had a couple of races like I did the Boston Marathon in 2014, the year after the bombing. I, I did it in 2013 and didn't finish and I didn't cross the finish line because of what happened. And and so 2014, I was. You know, I was going to run again, and my wife and son had been at the finish line in 2013. Um, were not hurt physically, um, and so they managed to to say they wanted to be back there in 2014. And so they were at the finish line in 2014, waiting for me. But unfortunately, I did the race, and by about mile 10, I became extremely ill, and I actually ended up finding out later that I had the flu, oh. and and I I got I got sick at mile 10 and had to pull out of the race. And I remember, um, I was very upset. They put me in a bus and drove me to the finish line and I met up with Sue and Owen at the finish line. And I was, I was really upset. I was crying and, and, you know, I said, I said to Sue and Owen, I said, I'm sorry. I, I really wanted to kind of give you a happy memory of this race after what happened last year. And I failed and I'm really sorry. And my son, who at that time was 11, just with, with this very straight face, just says, dad, Sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes you're the nail. Today, you're the nail.
0: An 11-year-old said that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I love that.
1: And I just said to him, like, where did you hear that? He says, oh, I read it in a book. That's and, so great. And that, that has become my hashtag since then, be the hammer.
0: Yes, I see that all the time. I wondered where that came from. That is amazing. What a great. Visual that story is just like so detailed and I can just like see your son saying that to you and it being like this moment of my 11 year old said this. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And like and now people will people will message me and text me and say. You know, I had a race and it was really awful. And then I kind of dug down and I said, I'm going to be the hammer. I'm going to do this. And they said, thanks for kind of, you know, giving me that that inspiration and that thought. And it all goes back to Owen. Like he deserves all the credit for that. But it's it's like painted on my bike. It's like I literally have that hashtag on my bike so that when things are going tough, I can kind of look down at it and and realize I got to keep going. And and, you know, it's a great message for life it's not just racing it can be all sorts of different places and and you also kind of take the other side of it like sometimes things are going to be hard and it's not bad and it's okay to be the nail and realize hey i got i got beat this time but i'm going to come back stronger the next time
0: you can let life you can drown in life or you can decide to ride on the wave and go yep. with the ups and downs yep. now what is it like training when you are training for an ironman do you have a routine at this point and if there are people who are looking to get into better shape do you have any tips from your training or your own experience that would help
1: well well I did the first few either first few years of this without a coach I kind of I I reached out to a couple people and they said, you know, I've never trained anyone with dwarfism. So, you know, I don't know what to do. It's going to kind of be hit or miss. And so I said, I'll figure this out for myself. So I kind of just did things on my own. But for the last few years, I've, I've actually hooked up with a group out of New York City. They're actually worldwide. And we actually have a chapter now in Boston. It's called Achilles International. And they're an organization that specifically there to help people that have some sort of physical challenge or even a traumatic brain injury and and they're there to help us race we have a lot of visually impaired runners we have um a lot of athletes um come from the military who've been injured lost a limb lost you know lost both legs and they run in what's called the Achilles Freedom team and so i've been running with them through out of new york but again now with our chapter here in boston and i have a coach Ah, uh, Brian Hammond, who's based in New York City, and he's kind of helped me do a lot of things and figure out a lot as along the way we go. Um, and so he's you know, I've got a six day plan. I work out six days a week. he 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 says that there's always it's always important for your family and for you to have one day of rest. And so one day a week i I don't do anything physical in terms of that, but I, I you know I try and kind of do some stretching, some easy stuff to kind of just keep me limber. but I swim bike or run six days a week. And, you know, people, I think the thing that people are, their first initial fear is, you know, I don't want to do this because I'm going to come last. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to, everyone's going to be waiting around for me to finish. And I always say like, somebody has to come last. If somebody is going to come first, there has to be a last place. Always has
0: to be a first boot is how I say it after Survivor. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, someone's got to go. And, 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 and I don't, you know, I've been, I've always said better to finish last than not finish at all and better to not finish at all than never even start. And yeah. that's, you know, that's half of it. And I think if people s- turn their perspective to themselves and say, how can I be better? How can I do this race? And then next time do a little bit better. And then next time do a little bit better and not measure themselves against everyone else. I think, I think their perspective would be a lot healthier. And it's, it's not that competition is bad. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that, but I think to get started, you have to kind of pay attention to yourself and not worry about other people. I think that's
0: a really, really interesting thing you say. I say that I have recently learned that I am competitive with myself, but not with others. And I have found myself more productive, able to go through life with a better attitude by realizing that you can compete with yourself and that's, mm-hmm. that's enough. And that can mm-hmm. often get you more. Yeah,
1: I really, I really believe that, and it's you know, and yes, I have raced in in certain races where there are other physically challenged athletes, and I do try to kind of do a little bit better there. And and then this summer, Owen and I actually, well, all three of us. Traveled to Canada for the World Dwarf Olympics and so Owen and I were both competing there and and so we were with other people that were physically you know short statured and so it was nice to kind of be on a playing field with other people and 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 that was great but uh, you know it it was it was neat because Owen actually was racing representing the US and I raced representing Canada.
0: That's awesome.
1: And so there was kind of a little bit of rivalry there, but we had a ton of fun and, and, you know, we both came home with some medals. And so it was, it was a really great day or a really great week, actually.
0: Wow. That's it's, I love how it's kind of become a family affair in a way with your son. Yeah. He does,
1: he does cross country now and, and he's, he's raced track and field at his middle school. He's going to race cross country at Pingree this, this fall. And, and, and none of this came from me saying hey owen do this hey owen come out and run with me he just decided it's what he wanted to do and he's he's much faster than i am and i give him a lot of credit for that and and you know he we he loves coming out on some of the five k's and and races that i do and has no problem finishing way ahead of me you know standing at the finish line waiting for me to cross and and it it, it brings me a lot of joy to see him out there doing the same yeah, thing Yeah,
0: it's amazing now, this might seem like a, this question is kind of hard to ask because I think it kind of comes through as you speak, but it is very clear that running and exercise mean more to you than just keeping in shape.
1: Yeah, it, it does. I think the, the primary goal is my health. And I really feel, you know, at 51 years old now, I'm kind of, I'm worried that if I stop, I'm going to be like the Tin Man and Rust. And so I so, so I want to keep going. But I think, you know... I had a lot of parents come up to me at the World Dwarf Games, parents of, of other children with short stature, thanking me and and reaching out to me on Facebook and, and whatever, just saying, thank you for giving our child this image of a person with dwarfism getting out there and just doing their best. Because we are told so many times all throughout our lives, you can't do that, you're too short. You can't do that, you might get hurt. You can't do that, you know, you're gonna come in last and and i know some people are saying it to try and protect us but in my opinion that's one of the worst things you can do is to protect people from getting out there and trying and so that's the message i'm i'm happy to hear and it brings me a lot of joy to know that that's happening and and you know to see other people with dwarfism doing 5k's or doing mud runs or or whatever you know i've even had people with dwarfism that are in a wheelchair saying You know, I saw that you did that race and it made me get up and do my stretching this morning. Like, even that means the world to me. I don't, you know, on the other side of the coin, I, you know, when someone who's average size, who's out there racing says, you know, you've given me great motivation. I I always take that with a grain of salt because I'm hoping that that motivation isn't, you know, Hey, here's the short guy doing it. If he can do it, I can do it too. Because that, I think, is the wrong wrong message. I I hope that they're just looking at the fact that I'm older and, you know, kind of took this time in my life to say I'm going to make a change. And if that's what's motivating them, great. But if it's simply, you know, he's short, I should be faster than him, or he's short, I should be able to finish this, then I think, again, their perspective is, is too much about, like, other people. And, again, it has to... They have to start looking inward for that motivation uh, to kind of keep going.
0: That's an important differentiation. It is. Now, uh, just to switch gears away from uh, exercise a little bit, the other part which makes a lot of sense talking to you is that you seem to be a teacher to the core of your soul. What, what's it like to be in John Young's classroom getting some math lessons. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Why do you love teaching? What's
1: your style? What does that bring to your life? You know, I, I kind of teach the way I view sports. You kind of have to get you have to get the, the, the basics down and you have to be told and shown what it is to do it the quote unquote right way. And then once you have those skills, I want them to go out and then try and apply those to, to new situations on their own with maybe some help from friends and small groups and whatever. But, but most of my classes are kind of like, okay, everyone, let's kind of do this together, try a few, and then go out on your own. Um, I kind of consider mathematics a participation sport. You, you can't learn it just by reading and watching. You have to do it. And, and that, that, to me, is, is an important part of my classroom.
0: Yeah, so in a way, you're kind of, your background in athletics ties in in that way of like the basics and practice and doing to get better.
1: I think so. And I, you know, I try not to say, you know, here's the homework, do numbers one to 50, every odd number. Like I tell the kids, you know, when they get, when it gets time for a test, I'll give them a whole range of review questions and I'll say, do as many as you think you need. Like you don't have to do all of them. Once you get, you know, this skill down, then move on. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't, you know, don't do it just to do it. Do it to know it. And then once you know it, move on. Yep.
0: Work smarter, not harder sometimes. Yep. I love it. Now, how do you feel with, I mean, you have been called an inspiration to people. We kind of got into this a little bit, but are you comfortable with people saying they're inspired, uh, provided it's coming from the right perspective or the right intention?
1: I think so, because, you know, I have people that inspired me. I have people that kind of in my life that showed me I could do things like I look, you know, I, I referenced Dick and Rick Hoyt. Um, But I also think back to my childhood, and somebody that I remember when I was very young was Terry Fox. Um, He was a runner from Canada who lost a leg and from cancer, And tried to run across the country and he got he ran from the east coast and got to just north of thunder bay in ontario when he had to stop because the cancer came back and unfortunately he died before he could finish it and there's there's races there's races all over canada and they even have them in the us now the terry fox run where people raise money for cancer research and i look to him as kind of some of my inspiration you know, kind of, you know, he's a Canadian, which obviously is is kind of important to me, but he also did something for the first time that no one ever did. And, and kind of, you know, from that, he was inspired to, he inspired, you know, millions of other people. And, and so if somebody kind of sees me do it and says, you know, I saw John do it and I, you know, I saw him kind of look at all, you know, what his background was like and, and he was an athletic person from birth and, and this is kind of how he changed then I think that's terrific. And and but but like I said, I I, I think what I look at myself as is I, I'm glad to be the spark, but that fire has to come from inside. You have to have that fuel to yes. keep it burning. And if, if if I'm the only reason that you want to get out and do this, you're not gonna keep doing it. You're maybe just gonna do it once and say, Well, that's it, I've done that.
0: Right. Now, how do you find your fuel to keep this attitude to get up every morning?
1: What what fuels you? Um, Like I said, I think it's the desire to stay healthy at my age. Um, yep. You know, I, I could spend a lot of time complaining that I didn't start this 25 years ago. And, and, you know, what? where would I be now if I had? And, you know, my wife says, well, maybe you could you might have been injured or you might have worn out your legs. So be thankful you've got strong legs at this point to keep going. But I think it's just I think it's. I think it's my son kind of inspires me because I want to kind of give him that message that, you know, you, you can get out there and, and keep trying and keep plugging away. And and I do it because I enjoy it. Like I, I, you know, a lot of mornings I'll get up at four o'clock to, to go down in the basement and ride my bike on the trainer or to get out and run or to go to the pool to swim. And I could very easily just roll over and say, forget it. But but I don't think I've had a single morning, maybe, I don't know, maybe one or two, when I've just rolled over and said, forget it, I don't want to work out. I, I've gotten up every time eventually. And and I'll be honest and I'll say that every morning when I finish that workout, even if it wasn't as fast as I hoped, I always feel better and I'm glad I get out and do it. And, and you know, it's it's I try to do most of my workouts early in the morning so it doesn't affect family time so that I can be around in the afternoon mm-hmm. and evening to do whatever it is we're going to do as a family. Um, that's important. And I'm glad I, I, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a morning person. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that. It's a helpful uh,
0: thing. Yes, it is. It, it is. So 10 years from now, do you see yourself doing these Ironmans? Like where do you want to be at 61, 71, 81? Where will we see John Young?
1: Well, I, I, I don't want to put a limit on it. Um, I've promised Sue, um, but I kind of already broke my promise a little bit. I promised her that after an Ironman, I, I wouldn't think of a longer distance. Um, same thing with a marathon. But I'm already thinking about doing a possible, like, ultramarathon thing. But it's it's local, and it's not far away, and, and it's just ah, maybe— Ah,
0: you're talking her into it.
1: I know. Well, so I might do another one. But— Obviously, my dream would be to race the Hawaii Ironman and, at Kona. Um, but it's it's a race that you have to qualify to get to. Uh, and as a physically challenged triathlete, they actually don't have a qualification standard anymore. They actually do it by lottery. And so I would have to simply put my name in and, and then hope that I get picked to go. Um, it's a huge commitment because it's in October, which means I would miss... A substantial amount of school if I went, and mm, it's obviously yeah. very, very expensive to get to Hawaii. So, you know, it's a dream, but it's not. It's it's not what I'm going towards. I really, you know, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm actually returning to Maryland to do the Ironman again in October. So I'll be back there in 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 about uh, six weeks, five weeks, or whatever it is. And you know, I'm excited to uh, to to get there again. And then after I do the, the Ironman in Maryland, we'll see. But I, I think I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I, I love – I never thought I would say this when I first started triathlon because it used to be I love the swim, I love the bike, and then the run was just like, ugh, I got to do this. But now, now I actually like the running a lot. And, hmm. and um, like I said, I've done nine, nine standalone marathons and um, you know, living in the Boston area – to say that I've been able to finish the Boston Marathon four times is Incredible. pretty. And, and I love it. It's a terrific race. It's it's like running on my home turf. You know, I have students out there coming to watch. I have friends. Uh, I have my family, Sue and Owen, kind of find a spot to come and see me on the race, if, if not at the finish line somewhere else. And, you know, I get to run by Wellesley College. Uh, and I actually will have... Former students of mine there every year, kind of waving and making up a sign. Well, oh, that's awesome. It is. It really is. You know, and it's it's just it's kind of great to run there, uh, and and realize that every few miles I'm going to have a friendly face yelling something to kind of keep me going.
0: Any final words of wisdom for people who are trying to overcome something difficult? You have shared a lot of wonderful nuggets, but anything else too before we sign off that you think you think is good a good spark for someone other than be the hammer or be the nail. Maybe that is your spark.
1: No, there's, there's something else. Like I, when I do a marathon, some people will come up to me after and they'll say, I could never do a marathon. And my response to them always is sure you could. It's like, well, no, I can't. There's no way I could. And my, the expression that I've said to them and I've shared with a lot of people is your will has to be stronger than your won't. And that to me is it. Like, if you want to do a marathon, you, you, you like, you have to really want to do it. There's, you can't just say, I'm going to do a marathon and turn around and just go do it. You have to want to do it because it requires a lot of training, a lot of commitment and, and, you know, a lot of heart because it's a long day out there for anybody. And so if you don't want to do a marathon, you're never going to do one. Yeah, and you have whatever, to want to. Yeah. And whatever it is in your life. That you want to do, your will has to be stronger than your won't.
0: That's incredible. I love it, John. I Thank love you. it. I love it. Uh, how can people keep in touch with you? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? What's the best way? Because I think that there are a lot of survivor fans that do listen to the podcast, and I think that there are a lot of people who will be inspired by your story. How can we keep in touch?
1: I'm on both Twitter and. Um, uh, Instagram and my it's uh, at all one word dwarf paratri okay d w a r f p a r a t r i okay and then I have a fan page on Facebook John Young the hammer great and I have a I have a blog but I really I haven't posted on it in a long time but it's the same thing it's John Young be the hammer uh, through blogspot
0: fantastic and I will uh, put your social media handles on the uh, SoundCloud and the podcast website so people can find you.
1: Awesome. So,
0: yeah. Thank you for joining us, John. I am so impressed by your ability to kind of vocalize these parts of your journey that are kind of marrying the physical and the I appreciate aspects. that
1: very much. Cheers.
0: I hope you enjoyed getting to know John Young. Now, on to the third and final installment of my speed dating with Andrea Belke. As you may recall, I just had a first date faux pas when I called Andrea a hypocrite. Let's see if I can recover. Uh, let's see what I got for you. Okay, Andrea, what's your favorite place in the entire world? I
2: would say back home on our farm. It's Our farm is so magical, and obviously it brings back all the childhood memories. But I grew up on a 2,000 acre farm. Riding horses, showing pigs at the fair, showing steers. So I think going back and being in the woods there and riding horses through the woods and through the streams and everything, that's for sure my favorite place on Earth. Yeah,
0: I mean, when you go there and you post photos and stuff, it's beautiful. Like, you found a baby fawn on your last trip home.
2: Yeah, the good news about the baby fawn. So when I was there, they had just found him. He got hit by a tractor, so he couldn't walk. I don't think really many I don't think any of his legs were really working maybe the front one one of the front ones and uh a couple weeks later because I've gotten updates from my sisters he was totally nursed back to health and now he's running around and oh my gosh he's so happy I know. I'm so
0: happy. So was I was so upset about that. I was like, what's going to happen? I can't take this Bambi stuff.
2: When my sister told me that they might have to put him down because he wasn't doing well, I was so sad. And I'd only hung out with this fawn for a few days. But this baby deer was so innocent and just such an angel that I was I was really shaken up about it. And then when I found out he was running around, it made me so happy. But yeah, the farm is beautiful.
0: Mine would be... Where I grew up in Hampton Falls, New Hampshire, it's just very peaceful in the backyard, and there are apple orchards all over town. But I think the place that's really magical to me is my aunt lives in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, and there's this little restaurant that is up the road in Beckett, Massachusetts called Dream Away Lodge. And it's essentially like a living room with pillows on the floor. And it's like the definition of cozy in the fall. And all different musicians like Bob Dylan has been there and Arlo Guthrie. It's just like this cozy little intimate place where they play music. And I just love cozy spaces. So that that might be one of them.
2: Oh, that sounds lovely.
0: Uh, where have you traveled, Andrea? We know a little bit from Survivor,
2: but w-
0: w- what places have you traveled that are cool?
2: Yeah, well, obviously with Survivor, it was Nicaragua, the Philippines, and Fiji. And then, let's see, I've been to Spain. I've been to uh, France, Africa. Well, Africa was just Morocco, so that doesn't really count. I've been to Mexico and Canada. That and Italy. And that any favorite places of those? I would say I really loved Spain. I loved Barcelona and Madrid. It was so have you been? I've been to Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona was so great. I mean that was in high school. So I love to go back. But Spain was probably my favorite.
1: And Seville
0: and Granada are really cool. You should check them out. Yeah. We know we, were, we went to Granada. Oh, it's as well. so it's got that cozy vibe, you know, like the hippies on the hill, and then the beautiful mosque
2: or whatever it is. I love it. Yeah, my Spain trip was really fun, but then something uh, kind of crazy happened. Is I was with a, there was maybe a ten of us try to fit into one of the elevators at this place, and the elevators in this building were so small, and we got we got stuck. I would freak we out. Stuck, we were stuck in this elevator for about two hours. And everyone was, we were all, we, we were shoulder to shoulder and we were, the people were crying and we were all sweating. It was terrible because we were packed. It was so bad.
0: I, will- I am terrified of elevators after an experience that could have been scary, but didn't, ended up being okay. Like you telling me that gives me like a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. Oh my
2: gosh, it was terrible.
0: Are you bad in closed spaces now?
2: Mm, not really. I mean, I was probably, the, I was probably the most calm in that situation. Like, it still sucked, and I was like, okay, I mean, but you kind of realize that I am pretty sure that we're going to get out of here, right? Uh, and obviously we did. I I was pretty calm, but I still was not having the best of times.
0: Uh, so let me see. I have one more fun question, and then one more to cap it off. So what music are you listening to right now? Because I've heard some of your musical taste and you're a little basic, I think, in that
2: <laughs> Wait, what have you heard that you think I'm basic?
0: I think that you probably have Despacito. Oh, my God.
2: I do not have Despacito on my playlist.
0: <laughs> what do you listen to? Uh,
2: despacito. No, I'm not. Uh, let's see. My stuff... Okay, so right now I have a playlist called Apartment Chill, and a couple of the things, a couple of the artists: Zona Bear, Passion Pit, Simon and Garfunkel, Andrew Bird, Foster the People, MGMT, Modest Mouse. Then I do have Chance the Rapper, Kesha, new stuff. Which Kesha's? I love Kesha's new song, by the way.
0: Me Thanks too. She-
2: yeah, I really love her new stuff. Uh. Yeah, so that's some of my stuff that I'm listening to now. Is that the. No, basic?
0: I'm sorry. I just like to joust with you a little bit.
2: That was really mean. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I
0: have Despacito on my phone, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> See, I don't have that.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of other stuff, but I do have that from when it first came out, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Da-da-da.
2: I actually don't know what kind of music you listen to.
0: Yeah. So I'm funny. I have, I really love like odd things that I'll find here and there. My favorite artist is Youth Lagoon. It is uh, an act that no longer performs under that name. It's an artist named Trevor Powers from Montana. And he produced this entire album called the year of hibernation when he was going through um, some depression and, He was in his house in Montana a lot, and it has a very nostalgic kind of like end of summer sadness kind of feeling to it, like a little melancholy, but it's kind of lo-fi pop. I really like it. I love Alt-J, their first album. For me, it's like about albums. Like an artist can do an album, and I love one, but I don't love the other. Then I love like Paul Simon, the Beatles, mm-hmm. John Denver. I love kind of folky. Love John Denver. Yeah, that was that song was Take Me Home Country Roads. It's a little stereotypical and like the one everyone knows. But when I played Survivor, that was always in my head. Uh, I don't like country music, but I love Americana kind of folk stuff. Always have loved it a lot. And then movie scores. Like I love, I'm actually going tonight to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Philharmonic in LA which I'm really excited about because I'm obsessed with that movie so I love movie scores so I'm all over the map yeah I like it and then Despacito (laughs) but can you sing the words to it no of course not who can really It's all right. final question Andrea because this was a speed dating and I guess I'll give you a grade at the end of it Oh, wait, how are you going to... Wait, how are you gonna I'm kidding. I'm not going to on... grade you.
2: <laughs> no, I want you to know.
0: Okay. What, what do you hate the most about the dating process?
2: That's a good question. So uh, it's an interesting world being in your 20s dating in New York City, for sure, especially with online dating. I actually quite enjoy dating because even if it's a bad date, it's usually a good story. I would say I don't like how flaky we all have become, and I'll find myself being flaky as well. It's just so easy to cancel on people. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I cancel on someone or they cancel on me. And even though you have the best intentions and you mean to reschedule, and sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, It's just it seems like everyone's disposable. And there's just so many options, especially with online dating, that... If you screw something up with someone or you have to cancel, it's not a big deal because you can just swipe and find someone else. And I just think it's so problematic because I think people are always looking for the next best person. I find myself doing it. I find people that I date probably do it. And I just think it's really hard for people to be happy on a date when they're just thinking, oh, okay, I wonder who else I can find that might be better than this person. I don't know. It's, 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 man, it's so hard with the apps and with social media. So it's, it's a tricky world right now. Oh, thanks for putting me on your Tinder profile, by the way. Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> Am I supposed to ask
2: for permission?
0: I'm sorry, Aubrey. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just funny when I get sent a link that you're on Survivor Reddit for being on Tinder with Andrea.
2: So this is the thing about that. I'm not embarrassed about being on dating apps at all. I'm more embarrassed how basic my bio was. (laughs) I don't know if I was half a, I don't know how if I was half asleep when I was doing that, but I did not put a lot of thought into my bio. And it's the most basic thing you could ever come up with. But I think I don't really care. Like, I don't put a lot of thought into my bio because I'm like, look, if we match, then we'll talk and I can be more interesting. But I think it was more having that splashed on Reddit where I was like, ooh, that's, that's really embarrassing, Andrea. <laughs> this is what it made me realize is I have to be careful with any – sort of interaction I have with someone on a dating app because it could be posted so it unfortunately it did make me think twice about now talking to people on tinder or bumble because I don't want my conversations posted because things could be taken out of context or whatever but look I didn't when I saw that I was I did not care at all I thought it was actually kind of funny
0: yeah I just don't see the need to post it necessarily, but I understand that it's public. But it's still a little strange for me.
2: You know, it's an interesting it's a, it's, it's an interesting argument. I I'm surprised that someone would post it. I just think it's a little tacky. It I is do, tacky, but I can't be ups- I can't be upset about it because when I joined online dating, I it went through my mind of okay, this could possibly be screenshotted or sh- shown somewhere. I just probably should have put more thought into my bio.
0: <laughs> this was such a different format, and this was really fun. I got to learn about your tooth. I got to learn about you getting trapped in an elevator and how you have a bad sense of smell. So as a date, I think I'd give you an A- minus because you're wow. great, but there's always room for improvement. I love that, Aubrey.
2: I'll take that. I give you a... A B plus. Okay, I'll take it. Because <laughs> you're kind. Because you're. Because you're kind of mean to me when you pointed out that I was a hypocrite. You should have let that slide. <laughs>
0: That's good. You're right. You're right. Sometimes I can be a little too honest and tell it like it is.
2: Uh, for our first date, was a little too. It was a little too honest. You should have let me get away with it. And then when we're officially dating and in a relationship, then you can call me out okay
0: that's fair uh so i guess that means i would be a tentative on a second date
2: except that you're taken i've already tried to date you up i I do do know this this. (laughs) and it was it was a hard no yeah
0: ponderosa was a fun time in 34 i'll tell you that
2: Zeke tried to Zeke tried to date you, too, and we were both completely rejected. <laughs> fine. I think oh, it. Oh, man.
0: We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> but if people would like to follow you, uh, whether to ask you on a date or not via social media, how can they do that? And how can people keep up with you in an appropriate way that Mama Aubrey would approve of?
2: Yes, you can follow me at Andrea Belki. So A N D R E A B o-e-h-l-k-e on twitter and instagram on twitter and and
0: instagram awesome well andrea thank you for taking the time to do this speed dating extravaganza with me and i hope to have you on again soon because it's we have opinions about stuff and i think we have more to hash out
2: awesome thank you for having me
0: I hope you enjoyed my speed dating adventure with the one and only Andrea Belki. Thanks for tuning in to Odd with Aubrey. I wanted to let you guys know I'm on to some new adventures in my life, so I won't be recording for a while. Consider this the first season of Odd with Aubrey, but I will be back. Follow me on social media and I'll keep you up to date on what I'm doing and when you can expect more from me. There's nothing I love more than collecting weirdos and telling their stories. Until next time, this is Aubrey signing off for a bit.